This podcast is dedicated to all you men and women out there who go out, hit that time clock, you work the shift, the crazy hours, 7 to 3, 3 to 11, 11 to 7, you, you know who you are. You drive truck, you work in the hospitals, you work that machinery, and you do all that just to put food on the table and to keep all of us going. Thank you. Welcome to the Third Shifter Podcast. I'm your host, Judd Severy, and I want to just, you know, this is kind of a, a late one. Um, I'll pop into a done this, you know, back in the beginning of April and with illness. Um, usually at this time of year, something weird happens. I always get uh, a lot of buildup of phlegm, especially after I have a cold or allergies hit. Um, I just get a lot of phlegm built up. And for weeks, I am just coughing, trying to get this out. Well, finally, apparently, um, I realized in the last few days, I really haven't been coughing. I haven't been having to cough stuff up. So what I've decided to do, I'm going to go ahead and get a recording out for you. And I am really excited. Unfortunately, um, I haven't done the one that I'm wanting to do. I'm hoping to do that here in the next couple of weeks. Um, But what I'm doing right now is... As I said before, I think in a previous podcast, how I have a lot, how when I was changing platforms, I did something wrong and other recordings didn't transfer over. And so I'm actually going back and redoing some of those old podcasts, um, especially now that I have, you know, know a little bit more of what I'm doing. I'm able, I got better equipment than what I used to have. So with all that being said, um, let's get into this. And if you're wondering what it is I'm going to be talking about, this is actually the about the, the molasses flood of uh, 1919, which happened on the north end of Boston. Okay? Now, I want you to think of yourself in that when this event transpired, it was right after the ending of World War One, And also, the world we were was still in the thralls of the of the Spanish flu and if you're wondering the devastation you know how what the Spanish flu did to everybody how it restricted everybody I think in this time of age we can all fully relate to that in in realizing with COVID-19 and and everything that happened with you know places shutting down and major events being canceled all because of the, the fear of getting an illness. So this happened right in the middle of all of all these events happening. And I'm just surprised that it's not talked more about in history. This was actually a very devastating, uh, a very devastating industrial accident that really helped in changing laws and changing uh, how things are designed and built. And, and I'm sitting here and 
I'm still kind of having the same emotions that I had the first time that I uh, did this was it's a lot of anger and frustration because this was a situation that could have been completely and utterly just avoided. It could have been prevented. And at the end of it all, it was just people wanting to take shortcuts, wanting to get you know more production. And at the end of it, uh, 26 people died. And well, we're going to, let's get into this a little bit now. In January 15th, 1919, a large storage uh, facility, a large storage tank that stored molasses. Now, if you're probably wondering why this, the, this was going on, why they were storing all this molasses. Well, you know, I think this is Boston. Um, one, Boston was very well known for, uh, for uh, it, you know, especially like for different things like it's baked beans and other concoctions that people it just made it really famous. Well, you needed molasses for that. Also, molasses was uh, a key ingredient also in munitions and in, in medicine. And also, they're just starting to get ready for the very beginning of prohibition prohibition was getting ready to kick in and so they're trying to produce as much uh, alcohol as they possibly can and well was you know with molasses you can make rum from that's just my understanding i'm sure there's somebody out there who can correct me on that but so this is what they're trying to do they're trying to stockpile all this molasses as much as they humanly can so you know as i was saying on January 15th, a storage tank that was filled with molasses, which is about 2.3 million gallons, burst, causing a wave of molasses to flow through the north end neighborhood of Boston, Massachusetts. And, and now, before you, if you're wondering how, okay, because <clears throat> we're all very familiar with the old saying, you're as slow as molasses in January. Okay, we're going to get into why this, this, molasses was able to go so fast and cause so much damage now the disaster happened at the purity distilling company at 529 commercial street near cuny square i hope i said that right it was owned by united states industrial alcohol the company made ethyl alcohol from molasses using as i said before using the making of alcohol for drinks and for medicine, for munitions, and also for different types of fuels. Okay, that is why they were always bringing it in. The tank was actually normally loaded from ships. Now we're this is where we're going to get. I'm going to get into why this the molasses was so uh, liquefied. It wasn't no, it wasn't the sludge that we kind of think about. The tanks were normally loaded by ships that came from the southern ports. Uh, like Puerto Rico, Cuba. Um, back then, there wasn't an embargo on Cuba. It was a very different government back then. Uh, southern states like Alabama, Louisiana, that actually produced uh, sugar cane. Now, the molasses needed to keep warm during transport. Roughly uh, 35 to uh, a minimum of 35 to 38 uh, degrees Celsius or 95 to 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit and, and a maximum of 
40 to 41 degrees Celsius or 104 to 105.8 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, during discharge, uh, uh, this, this is during the, the, now, I'm sorry, I misread that. The uh, 104 to 105 degrees was actually for when it was unloading. So basically, they were trying to make it more liquefied. It didn't, you didn't want it hard. And, you know, gooey, the way, you know, we pick it up at the store, this had to be ver almost just like pouring out water. Now, the ships would offload the molasses into the, into this, these giant tanks. And if, if you're, you know, if you ever have driven around parts of the country and seen these large, giant fuel or storage tanks, that's about what it was. This was propped up up onto a, up onto a, uh, onto a building and if I can find it, I'll see if I can find some pictures because I know there's pictures of it online I'll see if I can find some pictures and post it onto the uh, third shifter Facebook page for you so you can actually have a visual view now it was said the tank was poorly built the tank was reported to leak from the first day they were, what the company was supposed to do in the construction they were supposed to I'm sure I'm gonna get probably get I'm probably jumping ahead of myself but they were what they were supposed to do is when you built a tank, they were supposed to I think at least fill it up halfway with water to make sure it wasn't leaking. And all they do is, I mean, this is a tank that held 2.3 million gallons, and so when they went to fill it up, they only did like six inches. They, they were just kind of rushing the process, so they didn't really get checked for leaks. And there was also a complaint of molasses always uh, leaking from the storage tank. Now, in accounts that I had read, it was you. I was reading different accounts of people who you know lived there as children, and their mothers would actually send them over to this tank there on the Boston North End with like jars and stuff to collect molasses that was leaking from the tank. I, I mean, to, by today's standards, I wouldn't do that, but um, back then that that is what they did. They would go and collect jars, but. Now, as far as the solution to stopping the leaks, this is what the company did, and uh, oh my god, I I don't, I don't know. What they did was they just pound, they just painted the tank brown, so you couldn't see the leaks. And all I can think to myself is just wow, really just wow. Yeah. Now, the flood itself. On January 15, 1919, it was an abnormally warm day for, for that time of year. Okay, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, Boston, Massachusetts, as part of the New England states, I grew up in New England. I still live in New England. I live in Vermont. Boston is like a three-hour drive. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I will admit, at the time of this recording, um, in the, there have been times when you know, we've had a lot of kind of warmer than normal winters, but you go back then, it was nothing for January to, to average out negative 20. Negative 20. I mean, so for them to sit there and say this was an abnormally warm uh, time time for, of the year, it was just, I mean, it, it, it's kind of alarming. Now, the tank was supposed to be loaded with warm, fresh molasses from a ship. Unfortunately, uh, and I'll probably get into this a little bit more, was that unfortunately there was already molasses that wasn't as warm as 
the fresh that was going in and this is where some of the problems start coming in this is where they're going to talk about the problems now now around lunch time which probably about, about noon the tank burst open pouring out a wave of molasses reaching at a speed of about 35 miles per hour so this was fully liquefied they were it was very warm molasses it was it was just it was literally liquefied now with the molasses being more dense than water it had more of a destructive power in other words it was thicker so as it would 35 miles an hour as it was hitting buildings as it was hitting bridges as it was just hitting vehicles you know back then about, i think they had more uh, horse and buggies going around back then you know you, it was still back then the upper wealthier people had had cars versus today but back then i mean you have a, a way of a very dense liquid just hitting things and just pulverizing them buildings were destroyed horses were stuck in the mess 21 people died and about 150 people were injured this is that's just the people remember like i said you know you had a lot of you know back then a lot of they were still pulling th- a lot of things by horse and buggy so you, and the horses were stuck so I, i'm sure that the horses were knocked down and couldn't get back up now i want you to imagine this is still january yes it's abnormally warm but here's this goo it just bursts out of a tank it's pushing its way through town but as the temperatures yeah it hits you you knocks you down okay this is just more of a liquid but this is still january in new england the air is still a whole awful lot cooler than the what the molasses is so it molasses starts cooling off it starts to solidify it starts to uh become more of a thicker substance as you will so now you it is starting to almost impossible to get back up it's almost impossible now to breathe because you got this mess on you it is it's actually very devastating now where was i in my notes now rescuers i want to now rescuers came from the USS Nantucket, a training ship from what is now the Massachusetts Mar- uh, Maritime Academy. Boston Police, Red Cross, Army, and Navy. They all came together to try and help people out, how to help clean up the mess. They searched through the mess for four days because the glaze of the molasses was so hard to rec- it was so hard to recognize some victims. Uh, wow. Um... Others were pushed out to sea and were found months later. Uh, that is, I mean, I, I'm assuming that this had to be like the one people who are probably near the tank who had a, who were there, you know, possibly kids or other people, adults who were there collecting molasses, only to have this, to get hit by the wave and pushed out into the water and just, I, I really, I really don't know. In the wake of the accident, residents did file a class action lawsuit against the United States Industrial Alcohol Company, who own Purity Distilling. Now, 
I want you to think about this. Back then, you know, you know, if you're thinking that, okay, this is another story where the company gets off very light, well, not so much. Now, as usual, like I said, the company's trying to get out of it. Now, for one, the company did try to claim that it was an there were anarchists who blew up the tank, but this was proven false. Okay. Now, in the lawsuit, it did lead, lead the way to new regulations, and I will be getting into those here shortly. Now, what was the cause of the accident? Many factors c contributed to the accident. One, the tank leaked from the very leaked from the very beginning. The tank was constructed very poorly. Some accounts stated that the designer did not have any engineering or architectural experience. That would be a kind of a big thing. I mean, you're looking at, I mean, look at, look at how their idea was of fixing this thing. It, their idea of fixing it was to paint it, was to paint it brown, the color of molasses, so they, so people wouldn't see it leaking. The temperature rose from, from two degrees Fahrenheit which is you know 40 degrees compromising an already poorly quality metal uh, and we all know what metal when when metal if it's of a very poor quality when it gets cold it becomes more brittle okay so so now we have this so we got yeah I don't know the tank was only filled to capacity eight times since it was constructed all right after construction and adequate now after the construction adequate safety checks were not done such as as I said earlier filling the tank with water to check for leaks and only six inches of water was was put into it to check for leaks yeah you gotta you know you got this what 2.3 million or more tank that's it holds you know, millions and millions of gallons and you're only gonna put six inches yeah that made a whole awful lot of sense United States, in the United States industrial alcohol was in a rush to beat the ratification of the 18th Amendment, which prohibited the sales of alcohol, which was passed the next day, and it took effect, and took effect a year later. So they were trying to basically what, what, I'm, what the whole point of that is. What I'm trying to say is that they were trying to beat prohibition. They were trying to get as much out as they possibly can, much sold, make as much money. Many laws were passed as a result of this disaster. Okay, this is where you know a lot of our OSHA's and you know and other laws and organizations that if you are an industrial person who works in any form of industry, you kind of grow to hate. But we can think into people like this, you know, companies like this who are trying to take shortcuts to to get these uh, laws passed now. All plans had to be inspected by professionals before building permits would be granted. Okay, that basically what I'm saying is if you design a set of blueprints for uh, for at least commercial, depending on the state, but for at least commercial use, and you design these blueprints and you bring them, you know, before you can build something commercially, at least commercially, should I say, 
you have to actually bring them to an actual professional, somebody who, an actual professional engineer, a professional architect, and they have to go over it. They have to make sure that this, this is going to be safe to build before they, before any uh, building permits can be issued. Inspectors would would uh, scrutinize construction before building and structures could be used. Okay, like I, that is, you know, if you, you know that is actually a very to me that's very original that should be that you know we shouldn't have to have people do that that should be a no-brainer uh that is bringing in like i said said architects said engineers people who specialize in all in building construction to actually go through inch by inch of any new structure to make sure it's no it's not going to explode on you okay zoning laws w would separate dangerous industries from residents now for those of you out there who ever wonder what is what you know what the whole deal with zoning laws, what's the big deal? Well, this is why we have zoning laws now. It is to keep resident you know residential you know. I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time talking today. It is to keep uh, different areas out, you know, from each other, like commercial where you have commercial commercial zones where you might have a whole awful lot of traffic. You also will have industrial zones where you will have, well, something like this. You'll have uh, companies that contain dangerous chemicals uh, or dangerous substances where they are, are just kind of away from residents. They're kind of out a little bit and they're in their own little zone. That way, if something does happen, in the event that something happens, there's going to be a minimal effect to uh, local residents. And of course, then you got your little residential zoning area. And oftentimes, you know, even today, if you own, if you bought uh, a lot and get it cleared off and you want to build on it, you still have to kind of go to your local town and apply for a zoning permits, make sure it's, 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 it's going to be safe for you to build whatever, whether it be a commercial industrial or residential area. It all makes sense. It's a pain. It's a pain none of us like it but you know as i have over the years have read about all these different industrial accidents that have happened um unfortunately it's a necessary evil yeah. laws were also passed to hold in, in individuals and corporations liable for negligence in especially in an accident that results in death other words um I have worked in companies that have that dealt with a lot of very very dangerous chemicals. Uh, some of those companies had dealt with uh, refrigerator had refrigeration to keep the refrigerate uh, large amounts of product, and in those refrigeration units, unfortunately, they required ammonia, so they had to have uh, if something happened within the, that ammonia. Where it begins to leak and it reaches out into the community at large, there is to be a company is responsible for notifying said uh, community within a reasonable amount of time that there is a danger and you need to either evacuate or something. You need to take precautions. And those are laws. If these law, if things like this are not done and people are injured or they're killed, the company is therefore held responsible. Or the individuals who are responsible for for uh, that incident, for, for example, 
in this story, probably the person who who designed the tank, the storage tank would and refused to do any proper safety tests, would probably be held responsible for for deaths and injuries that have occurred. Now, U.S. industrial alcohol and pure distillery was fined one million dollars, or that would be like seven million dollars in today's money, which I think that's nothing. I, that's, that's really let's just be honest. That's nothing, and had to pay for the damages and liability of up to fifteen million dollars. I'm sorry, I still think that's ridiculous. I'm sorry. Um, I think there, there should have been. I think there should have been more. Now today there is a plaque at the site at the site that uh, commemorates the accident. And it's also a saying that I was, in some of the stories I was reading that even today, over a hundred years later, when the, when the temperature's right and the humidity is just right, you can still smell the molasses. I don't know if that's true. Um, like I said, Boston, I mean, I'm sure it's probably going to be about probably about, what, a three, three and a half hour drive for me. So I could always just take a tr- quick trip down there and find it and find that out. But, that's neither here or there. I probably, I probably, will, probably, probably the next time I ever go down there, I'll probably be not even be thinking about it. But, anyways, that is the Great Molasses Flood of 1919, and as in any industrial accident that's out there, this was 100% preventable. Okay, now don't get me wrong. There are times where maybe you have that one in a billion shot that. I mean, the one out of a billion crops up and everything just goes haywire. Okay? I 100% get it. Okay? that some Accidents do happen. Unfortunately, with this one, it was nothing but negligence. Uh, the company, the people, the person who constructed it, who designed it, it was poorly designed. It should somebody should have been checking his work. When leaks, when there was a report of leaks, this is not going to be the first pot, uh, first story that I'm going to share with you about leaks. Um, I'm actually thinking about doing another one that could have been prevented, and it wasn't. But this is why we now have OSHA. This is why we now have the EPA. This is why we have the FDA. It's because of people negligence. Okay, so before, like I said, it's easy to get frustrated with those organizations, especially if you, you just want to go in, you just want to do your job, you just want to work. Okay, and I get it. But thanks to people like the people who designed the Purity Distillery tank there in the north end of Boston, Massachusetts, is why we have this. Okay, and there's going to be some other accounts where I'm going to be reading about industrial accidents, things that could have been just prevented. So, with that being said, hey everyone, as we close this out, I just want to remind you about the 988 number. You know, the number if you are feeling depressed or suicidal, do not be afraid to call it. There are people there who want to talk to you, who want to help you out, and just listen to you. Okay, so don't forget to call, you know, if you were in, a, in an episode and you feel like you just need to talk to somebody, 
don't be afraid to dial that 988 number. Also, you know, if you don't want to go, if you're afraid to go to a doctor's office or go, you know, going to, you know, just any office period, there are outlets that you can uh, use to go ahead and seek the help that you desperately need. One is BetterHelp, another one is Cerebral, and the other one is Talkspace. Now, I will be having all those links in the show notes that you can actually go ahead, you can click on them and just go from there, okay? So please, don't be afraid to seek out help, especially in this time when it seems like depression is just rampant, okay? Now, in closing, turn to the Psalms 3.3, but you, O Lord, are the shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. Once again, everybody, thank you very much. Goodbye.